You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster as well as a longtime Marlins writer. And in today's episode, I'm going to attempt to do the impossible. And that is project the Marlins minor league outfield situation, which is just so cluttered, which is a good thing. The Marlins just have so many quality outfield prospects. And I think it's a good exercise to, one, just demonstrate how many quality outfield prospects the Marlins have, but two, also just to see where these guys are at in their development. There's no way I'm going to get this totally right because with the year off, certain guys are on different tracks and I can't really be there to see how certain players are progressing outside of the game situation with Instructional League. We did get some reports about who stood out and we did get some idea of that, but right now it's kind of hard to predict and also there's some things up in the air as spring training continues and then you're going to have the minor leaguers get to work before the season and that'll probably contribute to where they will be assigned as well but we still can try to get our best estimate here and man it's just going to be so much fun to watch each of these outfields from top to bottom of the minor leagues going all the way down to a ball I think there's going to be some really interesting guys there as well and I'll start with a ball not as predictable because you just don't know if certain guys are going to make it up from rookie league just yet but based on what I have heard and what I've seen I think that in low a we could see Victor Mesa Jr. There's just been nothing but great things said about him, and I think he's ready to go for a full-season type of environment. Diawell Burgos, same story, so physically developed. He's ready to go as well. Then maybe Thomas Jones spends another year in A-ball. He's already getting on 23 years old now. He was a little bit better last year, a good athlete. I think he'll be able to make his way up to high A by midseason if he hits Lorenzo Hampton. Don't forget about that guy either. He's got some tools, and he will probably start the year at A-ball as well. Now is where things get really difficult, and it's figuring out who's going to be in high A versus double A. And there's a lot of moving parts here because there's a lot of players who are on a similar development track or somewhat of a similar trajectory in their minor league career right now. And this is just my best guess slash what I would probably do and my approach to it if I was in charge. The no-brainer for me is Connor Scott. While he did rack up 27 games in high A last year, I think he needs to get at least another half season under his belt in high A, show some momentum before getting the move up to double A. He finished really strong in the second half of his stretch in A ball, got the move up to high A, and just did not quite hit well. The Florida State League is a nightmare for hitters, so not great when you have some momentum to get rolled into the Florida State League where pitchers are better, ball doesn't carry, and it's going to be a little bit difficult. So the 679 OPS in A ball, not great. 633 OPS in high A, not ideal either, but he has put on some weight, may be able to hit for a little bit more power, and it's easy to forget that Connor Scott is still just 21 years old, which is another reason why it makes sense to keep him in high A ball. No reason to rush him or set him up for failure. Let him build some confidence. Let him work some things out in the box, especially now that he's a bit more physical. He had the frame to add weight at six foot three. If he's able to hit for a bit more power now, there's some hope there. I think that 
that he's going to improve now that he's more physical. He had the present bat speed, but we'll see if he can generate enough lift and if he can allow his speed to be integrated into the game a bit more because stolen bases were not a huge factor for him. He did sweep 23 bags, but was still thrown out 10 times. And in his 27 games in high A where the catchers are going to be a bit better and the pitchers are quicker to home plate, only two stolen bases in the 27 ball games. We'll see if the added weight slows him down at all. I don't think it will. He's still a plus runner. I'm more interested to see on how he's going to hit because that has been somewhat of a disappointment since he was drafted in the first round back in 2018. Makes sense for him to start in high A. Next guy, Cameron Meisner. I think he should be in high A next year. College bat, pretty polished. We'd like to see him tap into his freakish tools. He's a five-tool potential guy. He's totally tooled out, but has not tapped into that just yet in his collegiate career or in his brief professional career, but still polished enough to get going in high A. That's where I would start him. And then this is where things get interesting. We've seen Gerard Encarnacion spend time at first base now, and I think that's Partly because, one, he's not a great defender in the outfield, but two, that the Marlins have so many outfielders, they just dealt Evan Edwards, first baseman as well, and it makes sense to have some first base depth behind Lewin Diaz, and long term, Gerard looks more like a DH. By the time he gets to the major leagues, I pray to God that baseball's wonderful leader, Rob Manfred, will have implemented the universal DH by then. So, Connor Scott, Cameron Meisner, Gerard Encarnacion as a part-time outfielder, part-time first baseman. And then I think you start Griffin Conine in high A just briefly. He needs to be there if he's going to be there for just a month. If he hits well, you move him up to double A pretty quickly because both him and Peyton Burdick have shown flashes of what they're capable of. Burdick, of course, was incredibly special at Clinton, and they're both old for their relative level that they've played at. So the Marlins want to get that expedited a bit. And I think you could make the case for Conine, and I'm a bit biased here, but I think you can make the case for him starting in double A just because of the fact that he is older. And at this point, he's going to need to be able to hit there at some point this year. So there's nothing wrong with starting him there this season, especially since the reports have been good around both Burdick and Conine in the instructional league. So my caveat there will be, I'll probably start him in high A for a month if I'm the Marlins because of the fact that Gerard Encarnacion is not going to be playing outfield full time and double A is kind of weird too in terms of where and who you're going to have there. It's a little aggressive to have either Conan or Burdick in double A, but I think one of them has to be there because there's nobody else really that will go there besides J.J. Bleday, and I'll get into the double A situation in a second. Also, remember Tristan Pompey? I almost forgot that guy existed. He'll probably be in high A, I guess but he'll probably be like a fourth outfielder. I literally forgot that guy. He wasn't even invited to the instructional league. He wasn't even invited to the instructional league. And there were concerns around his well-roundedness of his game, and there were some makeup concerns prior to the draft, and he did fall a lot in his junior season with Kentucky. But man, that guy has really fallen off. And just imagine if he tapped into like any of his potential. But I'm not going to hold my breath, and neither should you. And the good thing is the Marlins don't really need him to because they've got plenty of outfielders. So in summary... Connor Scott, lock for high A. I think Meisner is a virtual lock to start the season in high A. Gerard makes sense, whether it's at first base or outfield. 
and that would kind of have an impact on whether you decide to go with Griffin Conine at the double-A level or start him in high A. I think it makes sense to start him in high A, and I'll explain that when I go through the double-A ballplayers in just a moment. But a reminder first that this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Why pay 20, 30, or 50% more for the same auto parts when you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy-to-navigate website to find whatever car part you need for any make or model. The chain stores and private mechanics are not looking out for you. RockAuto.com is. They're a family-owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com. Use their easy-to-navigate website to find that car part. They'll ship it straight to your door. It's that easy. You save money. You save time. You save the headache. It's really a no-brainer. When you go over to their website, let them know that Locked On sent you in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Amazing selection. Reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com also brought to you by betonline.ag betonline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action football might be over but nba college basketball and nhl are in full swing march madness on the horizon baseball season on the horizon but betonline even covers awards tv shows reality tv they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine betonline has you covered for all the news scores and odds it's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up head over over to betonline.ag and use the promo code locked on that's one word locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit that's betonline with the promo code locked on betonline your online sportsbook experts so let's go to double a now where things are also kind of fun and i think that high a outfield is super fun Connor Scott's a former first-round pick. Meisner, a supplemental first-round pick. Griffin Conine, a second-round pick with big-time power. And Mr. Marlon's son, Gerard, incredibly exciting. And then, yeah, whatever, Tristan Pompey. Double A, also very exciting. J.J. Bleday, the team's best offensive prospect, really, by a good margin. And the great balance of high floor, high ceiling. Can't wait to watch him all the time. I'm going to make the case for Burdick to start in double A, even though he's making the jump from A ball. seems like the Marlins are incredibly confident in him, and I'm going to expect that they're going to be aggressive with him since he's 23 years old. So that is already the most fun outfield in the Marlins organization. And one of the more fun to watch probably in that entire double A league with Blade and Peyton Burdick, I'm going to probably have to be making some trips to Pensacola if that's the case. And also Pensacola is just an awesome stadium and there is just such a great environment there. Had the chance to interview the owner, Quint Studer, who just was amazing and talked about how he built such an incredible franchise. And the Marlins are really lucky to be affiliated with the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. That would be a blast to go check out some ball games there, especially with Blade and Burdick out there. I'm guessing the third outfielder at this point would be Victor Victor Mesa. That would be what makes the most sense because Mesa started his season in high A, wasn't great, got moved up to double A regardless because they wanted to create a roster spot for high A for Connor Scott, and then Mesa was worse in double A. But Mesa is talented. We know he's already a plus caliber outfielder, even at the big league level. He could be an above average outfielder right now, but who cares? So could Lewis Brinson, and that's not really that valuable for the Marlins at this point. So Mason is going to need to be able to hit. We thought he would be a better hitter. He was the Marlins' best prospect at one point, which is pretty crazy, but it's not like the ship has totally sailed. At least in my mind, it has sailed, but that's just me being a bit cynical in regards to 
Victor Victor Mesa, I've always been lower on him. But at the end of the day, he's only played one professional season. He has time to maybe figure it out. And he's going to be surrounded by some pretty talented outfielders with Blade and Burdick. And it should be fun to watch, even with just the hope that Victor Victor is able to figure it out along with the super exciting high-end prospects of Blade and Burdick. I would say don't really expect too much out of Mesa just because from what I've seen he needs a massive swing overhaul his ground ball rates are ridiculous he's got good bat to ball skills but just swings at everything and had a ridiculous 60% ground ball rate just not going to work and you know you never know there's crazier things that have happened but expecting much out of Mesa will probably set you up for disappointment but I'm cool with some cautious optimism Bode and Burdick leading the way though will be special and then Conine eventually getting that move up If he hits well through the first month or two, Victor Victor's struggling, or he's doing great and you move him up to AAA, that would be a really cool situation. But regardless, if Conine's hitting, he's going to leap over Mesa or they'll force Mesa to AAA, in which that would be such a sick trio in the outfield. My goodness, that might be one of the most exciting outfields in the minor leagues right now. Then that leads me to last but not least, AAA, which is also kind of exciting in a weird kind of nerve-wracking way because I really want these guys to pan out, but it's also a little bit scary, and it's Monte Harrison who needs to get it done in AAA this year and get going to the big league level. Jesus Sanchez, kind of the same story, although he is not as volatile of a swing and miss guy. And then Brian Miller. Brian Miller is like your classic quadruple-A guy. I think the Marlins are hoping that he can turn into a fourth outfielder. But Monte Harrison and Jesus Sanchez, this is their chance in AAA to really get it going. And I think if either of these guys mash, they can really force the Marlins hand if Brinson is struggling. It's been a tough spring for Brinson so far. I'm sure the Marlins are not going to be that patient with him this season. And especially when they have all of these prospects knocking on the door, you're going to want to give Harrison some opportunity, Jesus Sanchez some opportunity. And that's where it'll be fascinating to see how they go about it. But obviously both of those guys are going to have to hit first. I'm really excited to see if Jesus Sanchez is able to finally tap into that ridiculous power that he has. I always just think back to that home run he hit against the Braves in the exhibition game at Truist Park. That was just an absolute laser shot that never stopped. Monte Harrison just homered earlier today, or I guess it would technically be yesterday as it's one in the morning as I'm recording this right now, but I don't think I can remember a time where I've wanted a prospect to reach their ceiling more than Monte Harrison. Maybe it was Lewis Brinson right after the trade, which just makes it even more painful, but I don't think there's been a guy that I've wanted to see just reach his potential more than Monte Harrison because what is his potential? It's just like limitless with his physical ability, with his ability to hit for power, his defense, the speed that he offers on the bases. Like this guy would be one of the most electric players in baseball, like Byron Buxton type. And Byron Buxton technically hasn't even hit his ceiling. He's gotten close enough to it to be a justifiable starter, but even him, he never hit the ceiling that many thought he would have. Also, just so injury prone, and it's been a shame. Did you see the story about Byron Buxton, by the way? He cracked his tooth eating a steak, and he had to get a root canal. I read that story on Twitter, and I thought it was like a troll account. I clicked it, and I was like, nope, that's a very reputable writer. The woman looked like she had a very good resume in her bio, and clearly it was factual. So that was crazy. But I think at this point, you would take Byron Buxton from Monte Harrison. I'd be happy with that. 
obviously minus the uh, root canals and frequent injury. But Monte Harrison and Jesus Sanchez will be worth a watch in AAA. Brian Miller, some just steadiness in the outfield. And maybe, just maybe, if he can find a field to hit a bit more, he can be that Magnara Sierra fourth outfielder type. And then at the major league level, you know, that's where these guys are going to be knocking on the door. So you got Magnara Sierra at the major league level, who I was very impressed with this past season. He looked like a different ball player, much more confidence at the plate, more aggressive, and just seemed like he had a little bit more punch with his swing. He was going gap to gap more, aggressive on the base paths. It was fun to watch him last year. While the numbers may not jump off the page, he definitely passed the eye test, and he seems like a perfect fourth outfielder type. And it's kind of cool that the Marlins have gotten value out of every single player in the deal. Even the throw-in Dan Castano, the not-really-centerpiece with Magnera Sierra, though you could argue at the time he was the number two piece in the deal, and Zach Gowan was the third piece. But it was just cool to see the Marlins get something out of all four guys, and I really do like Sierra as a fourth outfielder. Brinson, we'll see. My hope at this point is that he can be a defensive-minded platoon guy that can hit left-handed pitching, at least at a fairly solid level. That would be a win at this point for Lewis Brinson, and the Marlins would be able to have some value there with him. Before I wrap up some recent spring training takeaways, I did jinx Trevor Rogers a little bit, and I literally knew I was going to jinx him, but I still thought he flashed some good stuff and still got tons of swings and misses. The walks, man, the walks just got to be cut down for Rogers. That's the only thing for him. If he gets ahead of hitters, he's going to be really tough to hit, but I love seeing the velo up for him. Velo's up across the board, and it's going to be interesting for all of these starters. Is Nick Neidert going to sustain this higher velo? And man, if he can, he's got a really good case for the rotation too. I tweeted about it on the Locked On Marlins account that if he continues to look like this guy sitting more in the 93 to 94 range, then he may be the better option than Eliezer Hernandez. That might not be a popular take, but Hernandez sits 90 to 91 and his only secondary pitch is a slider. While Neidert has now established more separation from his plus changeup, a 60 grade changeup, and the breaking ball already looks a little bit better. Neidert's been the best story of spring training. He's getting swings and misses. He's just dominating so far, and I would love to see this guy make starts. Eliezer, I believe with his slider, could be a really good reliever, but it should be fun to watch all of these guys compete in another spot where the Marlins are just so fortunate to have a ton of depth. And I'll look into maybe doing an episode predicting the rotations next time through the Marlins minor leagues. Let me know if you would like me to do that. Just fire some tweets at me at Locked on Marlins if you'd like me to do that. I want to be more open. If anybody has any episodes that you'd like me to cover, any specific things you'd like me to cover, I'm always all ears because I'm doing episodes every day. And at the end of the day, these episodes are for you and what you want. So I'm always willing to listen and cater to that, especially once the season is underway. And that's when things will get really, really fun. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins with you tomorrow.